You're listening to the Southwide Baptist Church Podcast with Pastor Jeremy Lewis. At Southwide Baptist Church, our mission is to boldly proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ and thereby lead people to worship God authentically, connect in biblical community, grow in Christian maturity, and multiply disciples and churches both locally and globally. For more information about our church, please visit www.southwidebaptist.com. Now let's join Pastor Jeremy for today's message. As we turn our attention to this one who is the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords, and yet... Even amidst this uh, culture, this first century group of Jews who had long expected a king, they did not see the kind of king that he ultimately would be, nor did they understand the significance of the moment that they were living in. But John writes these things to us in order that we might believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing today we might have life in His name. It is in God's providence that we come to this story uh, here in the book of John. Um, As you might recall, uh, we began our study of the book of John just a year ago now uh, uh, on Easter Sunday, and we return on Palm Sunday to the very passage that has been uh, the, the, the center of our Palm Sunday celebration for 2,000 years, namely what has been called the triumphal entry into Jerusalem. It is the Sunday of the beginning of Passion Week when Jesus, who, by the way, largely had uh, ignored or tried to avoid people trying to make him king up until this point, uh, he uh, largely avoided the, the praise of the crowds and the nationalists who would want to see Israel thrive again. Jesus now parades into the city of Jerusalem uh, on, of course, a donkey and draws a huge crowd. And the crowd, uh, we're told, laid palm branches down before him and called them their king. Little did they know what kind of king he would be. Well, this event is recorded by all four gospel writers, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. But the focus of John's gospel is not the same as the other stories. The title triumphal entry could most likely be applied to the story in Luke, where they're told to be quiet, the crowds who are praising Jesus. But Jesus tells the Pharisees that if they're silent, even the rocks will cry out in worship. That could be called a triumphal entry. Or Matthew. If you think about the entire theme of the Gospel of Matthew being Jesus as King and, and Jesus bringing in this kingdom of God, certainly that would be a triumphal entry. But as you read the story of John, you're struck with the reality that this seems very little like triumph. In fact, for John... The meaning of Jesus' entry into Jerusalem was not a perceived triumph, but rather Jesus is entering into His death. 
the very moment he enters into Jerusalem is the the commencement, if you will, of Passion Week, that Sunday before Good Friday, before Easter Sunday. And here we have the very beginning of the end of Jesus' physical life as He gives His life for the sins of the world. So, if you found your place, I want to invite you to stand with me in honor of the reading of God's Word as we go to the beginning of the cross, the triumphal entry of Christ. John chapter 12, beginning in verse 12. The Bible says, The next day, the large crowd that had come to, fe- come to the feast heard that Jesus was coming to Jerusalem. So they took branches of palm trees and went out to meet Him, crying out, Hosanna! Blessed is He who comes in the name of the Lord, even the King of Israel. And Jesus found a young donkey and sat on it, just as it is written, Fear not, daughter of Zion. Behold, your king is coming, sitting on a donkey's colt. His disciples did not understand these things at first. But when Jesus was glorified, they remembered that these things had been written about him and had been done to him. The crowd that had been with him when he called Lazarus out of the tomb and raised him from the dead continued to bear witness. The reason why the crowd went to meet him was that they had heard that he had done this sign. So the Pharisees said to one another, You see that they are gaining nothing, that you are gaining nothing. Look, the world has gone after him. Pray with me. Father, I pray that as we begin this chapter 12 story of the triumphal entry of Christ, that we would see, yes, our reigning King, but that we would not see Him wrongly as the crowds do here, but that we would understand what it means for Jesus to be King of kings and Lord of lords, in particular that He is Savior King. And I pray that we would be uh, compelled, driven to worship over what Christ has done for us and who He is in our lives. I I pray that if there is someone here who's never trusted in Jesus as Lord and Savior of their life, they've never met the King, I pray that this would be the day that, that they come face to face with Jesus. And that Jesus, You would save them, draw them to Yourself. Lord, I pray that all of us would be found as we see the truth of Your Word, that all of us would be found on our faces before You in worship and in submission to Your Lordship in our life. And I pray it in Christ's name. Amen. Thank you. You can be seated. So, John doesn't give us a ton of detail here, but what we do know about this story is that there is a clear shift to the cross of Jesus mentioned this to you a couple of different weeks now in a row, but the anointing of Jesus' feet at Bethany, which Jesus says was for His burial, we saw that at the beginning of chapter 12, is a clear turn toward the cross. It's interesting that for 11 chapters, we have been uh, taking a brisk walk, so to speak, as John highlights and summarizes the 
uh, the, the, the ministry of Jesus and as he's going through highlighting those particular passages that would uh, most clearly demonstrate Jesus as the Son of God and the call then, therefore, to believe upon Christ and to have eternal life. John spends a lot of time on those highlighted events, but it, at large, over 11 chapters, it is a summary. And then you get to chapter 12. And when John says the next day, it is the beginning of the, the final 10 chapters of the book of John. And those 10 chapters, essentially, with the exception of uh, the last few moments of, of John, uh, of the end of John, you see for 10 chapters, one week captured in the life of Jesus. It is the most significant week in human history, Passion Week. John tells us here that a large crowd had come to the feast. And the feast is Passover. This was a huge celebration in the life of Israel. And the crowd hears that Jesus is coming to Jerusalem. The crowds have been following Jesus around all of his ministry. Lots of crowds following Jesus all of the time. But this is perhaps the largest crowd that has ever been gathered around Jesus. The time of the Passover drew Jews from all over the place, not to mention the residents that were there in Israel, in Jerusalem. Josephus tells us, by the way, who is a Jewish historian, Josephus tells us that there might have been one of these Pentecosts, uh, or rather one of these Passover celebrations leading up to the destruction of the temple, there might have been as many as 2.7 million people there gathered. This is the largest gathering around Jesus to date. So John tells us it is a large crowd. That is somewhat of an understatement, but many have come because everyone has heard the news of what Jesus has done, particularly, John tells us, in the story of Lazarus, raising him from the dead. So John doesn't give us a lot of detail about the, the triumphal entry itself, but he does tell us some significant things that matter to the message that he's giving us. So let's look at it briefly this morning. Verse 13 says that they took branches of palm trees and they went out to meet Jesus, crying out, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, even the king of Israel. And then he tells us that Jesus found a young donkey and sat on it, just as, 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 as it is written, and he quotes from Zechariah here, Fear not, daughter of Zion, behold, your king is coming, sitting on a donkey's colt. That is the bulk of the detail concerning the triumphal entry that John gives. So there's some things that you need to notice, three particular things that give rise to one powerful truth from this passage. Number one, the crowd took palm branches and went out to meet their hero. You need to understand that the crowd has gathered up palm branches and they go out having heard Jesus is coming into the city. Their whole goal is to go out and meet their hero. Now, there's a lot of speculation about what these palm branches uh, or rather where these palm branches would have come from. 
maybe not native to Jerusalem, most likely they would have been gathered from the surrounding regions as people were traveling in. Regardless, they brought them to meet Jesus. And the question is not where did they come from, but why did they have them and what were they using them for? And there are at least two points of significance here. When they say, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, when they cry out Hosanna, there is no question what it is that they are saying. They're, they're shouting out this celebration of a hero that is coming into town. They, they heard that Jesus was coming and they took the branches and they went out to meet him, crowning him with their praises. And what are they shouting? They're shouting particularly a passage from Psalm 118 and verse 5 that contains this word Hosanna. They believe Jesus to be the hero of Jerusalem. The question then becomes, in what way is Jesus their hero? And this is hugely important for you to understand. Because we often approach Palm Sunday as if the celebration on the very first Palm Sunday was legit. But it in fact was not. So secondly, notice that the crowds did not consider Jesus just any sort of hero. The crowds considered Jesus to be their Savior King. Now that all sounds good, but follow with me. So what they see here, they cry out, Hosanna. The phrase is directly from Psalm 118, verse 5. Here's what it says. Save us, we pray, O Lord. O Lord, we pray, give us success. And then verse 26, same passage says, Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. This is the picture that they are crying out. Hosanna is the, Hebrew, is the Greek equivalent of this word that means God save us. Lord, save us, we pray. It's a a request, it's a, a plea, and at the same time an acclamation, recognizing that their salvation would come from God. It's an acclamation of praise. They recognized their need for salvation, and they recognized that God was the only source from which it would come. Here's the irony. The irony is that although they recognized the One who would save them, They missed how it was that he was going to save. They were pleading for the success of Psalm 118. They were pleading for the renewal of the nation. They saw Jesus as their Savior King, but the reason that they are waving the palm branches is because They actually believe Him to be the one who's going to come and restore Israel as a nation. It's the very reason why when we get into Acts chapter 1, this is what the disciples asked Jesus. Okay, we're at the end of your ministry. Are you now going to restore the kingdom of Israel? And Jesus rebukes them. It's not the time of uh, of these things for you to know. You just know that you continue in the mission of Christ. It's interesting that... A couple of centuries, even before these palm trees are laid before Jesus, they were actually laid before Simon the Maccabee when he drove the Syrian forces out of Jerusalem and they celebrated him in a similar way as their hero. They laid palm branches before him and played music. 
Palms appear on the coins that were in the day during the Jewish wars against Rome. These palm trees, these palm branches were not a symbol of spiritual restoration, but political restoration. This was an outcry of nationalism. Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. He's going to come and restore us to our success. Our, our nationalism, our, our being the, 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 the biggest and the best in the world. We're going to see the King finally that was promised. Can I say to you that sadly in some of the same ways we mix our own nationalism with spiritual desires. We take Jesus and we make Him the poster boy for American patriotism. Can I say to you very clearly that Jesus is not concerned about the success of America as a country. His concern is over the success of the kingdom of the living God. And there is only one king and one kingdom and it is his salvation that Jesus offers does not come by sitting on any earthly throne. The salvation that Jesus offers Being the fact that He's already sitting on the throne of heaven, the salvation that Jesus offers comes to the expense of His life and the expense of every other kingdom. Every knee will bow the knee to Jesus Christ. But that's the third thing to notice here. He's a different kind of a king. Jesus declares Himself to be not just Savior King as they were expecting. There's a, a more... A more specific term that we must understand, and that is that He is the Messiah King. Messiah King, the the word Messiah meaning chosen or anointed of God. It was not the chosen King of Israel, it was the chosen King that God was putting in place. This is why Jesus, instead of going to sit on the throne that they might have provided, Jesus goes and sits on a young donkey. He finds the donkey and he sits on it. And verse 15 says that that is, John tells us that that is in agreement with what was already said in the Scriptures. Fear not, daughter of Zion. Behold, your king is coming. Not a king as they expected, but a king that was promised from Zechariah 9. He would not be a political ruler. He would be a spiritual ruler, a universal ruler, and he would come to die on the cross. And it is interesting that if John had quoted this to the people there, they would have been they would have said, yes, amen. We're glad that the king has finally come because I I think they missed this one line in verse nine. But let me just read this for you in context. We can't read the entire chapter for the sake of time this morning. But Zechariah 9 and verse 9 and following, listen to what it says. Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout aloud, O daughter of Jerusalem. Behold, your king is coming to you. Righteous and having salvation is he. Humble and mounted on a donkey on a colt, the foal of a donkey. Verse 10, I will cut off the chariot from Ephraim. The war horse from Jerusalem and the battle bow shall be cut off. And he shall speak peace to the nations. His rule shall be from sea to sea and from the river to the ends of the earth. 
As for you also, because of the blood of my covenant with you, I will set your prisoners free from the waterless pit. Return to your stronghold, O prisoners of hope. Today I declare that I will restore you to double. For I have bent Judah as my bow. I have made Ephraim its arrow. I will stir up your sons, O Zion, against your sons, O Greece, and wield you like a warrior's sword. That's the king they were looking for. They're looking for the warrior who makes mincemeat out of everybody else around except for Jerusalem. The problem is that that, although it might have been good news, was not the best news. The best news was that Jesus was coming as king, but he was coming as a king who would go out before his people and would take on himself the death that we deserved. The people are seeing a cutting off of every enemy, but it is not the physical enemies around them, but it is the spiritual enemy, the greatest enemy they face, the enemy of their soul, their own sin. And it would require not that Jesus sit on a physical throne, but that Jesus go humbly to the cross of Calvary. He is Messiah King. The righteous one, the one who had come to die in order that they might be saved, not from their political enemies, but from their mortal enemies, sin. Fear not, your king is coming and he rides in with salvation. This, by the way, church, is the significance of Palm Sunday. The fact that we have been promised not the next greatest president. But that we have a King of kings and a Lord of lords who has come to save us. And the invitation of Palm Sunday is come and see your King. Come and behold the King of kings and the Lord of lords. Come and meet Him. And so the truth of John chapter 12 is this. Jesus, the King who reigns forever, has come to save His people. Jesus, the King who reigns forever, has come to save His people. And by the way, John has already made abundantly clear with his conversation, recording the conversation between Nicodemus and Jesus, other places, he's made abundantly clear that this is not just a promise to Israel. That Jesus is the universal King of kings and Lord of lords over all things. And the reality of Jesus riding into town to declare that to be true is in the same breath the reality that this salvation has now been offered not just to Jews, but to Gentiles and to all who will put their faith and trust in Jesus Christ. Jesus is the King who reigns forever and He has come to save His people. So the invitation to every person in this room and all who will hear is to come and meet your King. Come and bring palm branches and welcome not your political hero, but the hero of our faith, Jesus Christ, who is the King of kings and Lord of lords. Come and lay down your branches before His feet, not recognizing that He's coming to to help create your personal kingdom or your national kingdom, but knowing that He's come inaugurating the very kingdom of the living God. 
And He's not come wearing a crown, but rather come riding a donkey and taking up a cross to humbly die as the servant of the world, to offer up His life in our place and to establish His kingdom, not just on the earth, but in our hearts. This is the reality of Palm Sunday. To this we shout, Hosanna. Because we believe that it is only through Jesus Christ that we can be saved. We have no other hope. Friends, we shout a lot of different names in our world. We pin our hope on a lot of different names and positions, but our hope is only in Christ. He is the only one who is able to save. He is the only one who is forever faithful. He is the only one who will not fail in his mission or fail in his relationship to us. He is worthy of all of our praises. Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. And the invitation is to come and meet the one who comes in the name of the Lord. Messiah, King, God's chosen and anointed. Come and meet Jesus, God Himself, sent to die for the sins of the world. He's the King who dies on the cross despite our building of our own kingdoms and our rebelling against His and our desiring to be King of our own lives, Jesus comes as the King of kings and Lord of lords to die on the cross, to sacrifice His life in order that we might be restored to God, forgiven of our rebellion, set free from our sin. This is what Christ has done. So come out and meet your King. It is a plea this morning to both those who know Christ as Lord and Savior and certainly to those who do not. It's a plea to the church to remember on this Palm Sunday who it is that we have come to worship. We do not come and gather together as God's people simply to go through religious exercise. Hear me, we gather together as God's people to bow before the one who is King of kings and Lord of lords every single week. Like this is not a one time event where where people in Defuniac hear that Jesus is coming and and we kind of just gather out on 331 and there's this big parade and, and then he's gone. No, we have the enduring, everlasting presence of Jesus Christ in our lives every day so that when we gather as God's people, it is always a monumental event and He is always worthy of our highest praise every single time. It's a reminder. Palm Sunday impacts how we worship. It changes everything. It also changes how we live every day, not just how we gather Because every moment of our lives is a moment bowed before the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. Certainly this is also a plea to those who are here this morning who do not know Jesus. We're going to spend a little bit more time just kind of unpacking this, but just for the moment, hear me. You, You don't, nothing you do in your life changes anything about the authority of Christ. Do you understand this? Palm Sunday is the declaration that nobody enthrones Jesus, that He is enthroned forever. 
If that's true, this King of Kings and Lord of Lords has just entered into town. And the only response, the only right response from sinners is to fall on our face before the King and plead for mercy. We must submit to Him as the one who is able to save and Him alone. And we can see it all around us, can't we? Every other political Savior has done what? Failed us. Every other attempt at salvation on our own, it has failed us. Every other place that we've looked for for hope and promises that will come true fails us. But Jesus alone is the yes and amen of God. And He will not fail. You must repent of your sins and put your faith in Christ today. It is the only hope that you have of salvation. The only hope in all the world. So the only question remains on Palm Sunday is not what happened. John gets through that pretty quickly. Almost as if he's saying, I want, to, I want you to see this event, but I want to press into some things. Because it's important not just that you understand what happened. Kids, it is, it is so vital that you know the stories of the Bible, but if that's all they remain to be, something you heard in Sunday school growing up, something you were taught by your parents, if you don't get to the point of response, then you've missed the whole point of the Gospel. There is a right response to Jesus and a wrong response to Jesus, and we actually see that play out in the rest of this chapter. But there is an intro to that here in our text. We see these responses kind of play out, but right here in our passage, they're already introed, all four of them, and I want you to see them this morning. How is it that we should respond to Jesus as King? I want to form these in the frame of, framework of questions, calling you to commit. Number one, will you embrace faith in the saving reign of Jesus. Will you embrace faith in the saving reign of Jesus? Look at verse 16. So we have just that short snippet. And then verse 16 says, The disciples were confused. His disciples did not understand these things at first. But when Jesus was glorified, then they remembered that these things had been written about Him and had been done to Him. They didn't understand. They didn't know what all of this meant at first. There was a lack of clarity, a, a spiritual darkness and a sense in their minds. They were blinded to what really was happening when Jesus was riding into Jerusalem. We know that even when we get over into Acts chapter 1, it would seem that they're still struggling with this kind of unbelief, this lack of faith, still putting faith in earthly kingdoms. They didn't understand it first. What's important, though, is the second half of that. But when Jesus was glorified, in other, in other words, when all that had happened to Jesus had taken place, what I think John is saying here is Jesus being glorified into heaven. He's picturing His ascension. When they get to that moment where Jesus is, is at this point when the whole mission of His on earth, including His resurrection and His commissioning them, was complete, then they understood. 
In other words, John is front-loading this. Remember that he's writing this after all this had taken place. He's telling the story as one looking back. So he says about these men, they didn't get it then, but there came a moment. The moment when it all came together in their hearts, when, when Jesus made it clear and all that he... When he, when he had already died, when he had risen again, when they saw the risen Christ and he had commissioned them to the gospel ministry, when they saw that happen, that they got the significance. Friend, can I tell you that there must come a moment. You may not understand all the things that there is to understand about the things of God. I'll just be transparent with you. I don't yet either. And if you've got there, you let me know, because um, I'll see you in heaven. <laughs> Reality is, we, we aren't there yet. But there's got to come a moment, and this is, this is so critical. I want you to get this. There's got to come a moment where you understand the gospel. And it is not just a feel-good message of God helps you through life, and that you pray every day, and that you experience God's care in your life. I want you to hear this. There's got to come a moment where you understand the significance of the death of Christ. That He died because you deserve the death He died for you. And that it is His death that satisfies a holy God that was due you. His wrath against you and I. We were to receive all of that. And you've got to understand the reality of what Christ has done for you on the cross in order to be saved. I've heard over and over again, we've got to simplify the gospel, simplify the gospel. We've got to make it simple. It is simple, but you cannot reduce it. It cannot be reduced to something less than what it accomplished. And Christ died in our place in order that we might be set free. And there has to come a moment in your life where you say, I embrace that. I believe that with all of my heart. I don't put my trust in anything else but Jesus. The question is, will you embrace faith in the saving reign of Christ? Do you believe that He is Messiah, King of your life? Even though the disciples did not understand at the beginning, God made it clear. Is He making it clear to you today? And will you embrace by faith the reigning of Christ in your life? Secondly, Will you proclaim the news of the saving reign of Jesus? Will you proclaim the news of the saving reign of Jesus? Verse 17 and 18, what it seems to be is that there are two different descriptions of two different crowds. There is a crowd that went out and there is a crowd that gathered. And it seems to be happening at two different time periods. Perhaps maybe they're back in, but there's this explanation of what each crowd is doing. And from that, we see two responses. So verse 17 is the first crowd. The crowd that had been with him when he called Lazarus out of the tomb. That's a smaller crowd, isn't it? That small group saw what Jesus had done. Namely, that he raised Lazarus from the dead. More than that, they they saw who Jesus claimed to be, namely the Son of God. They saw that someone can come to life 
through faith in Jesus. Jesus preached that. And the result is, here's what verse 18 tells, or verse 17 tells us, that he, that, that those who had been with him when he called Lazarus out of the tomb and raised him from the dead continued to bear witness. They kept telling the story. You might say, well, Pastor, I don't know if that's the gospel. They're telling the story of Jesus raising a man from the dead. But isn't, isn't this in agreement with what always happened among believers? Like, this is the result of saving faith. At every point in the history of the church, biblically, that's what we see. Come to faith in Christ, believe upon Christ, and go and tell the story. We saw it with the Samaritan woman in John chapter 4. We'll see it again in the book of Acts if you continue to read. Come to faith in Christ, tell the story. Come to faith in Christ, tell the story. And it is, it is, it is tragic how many people claim faith in Christ but have never told the story of their salvation. Will you proclaim the news of the saving reign of Jesus? In the New Testament, it was as if there was no other right response. Was the last time something incredible happened to you? I mean, absolutely incredible. And you kept it to yourself. You didn't, did you? You told the story, right? Probably so many times that you're like... uh, You're like some of our grandpas that have told us the same story over and over and over again. And we go, yeah, I've heard that one before. I've heard that one before. But every time they tell it, it's like the first time it ever happened, isn't it? Right? Is Is that saving faith for you, Christian? Oh, that God would restore the joy of your salvation if that's true. If you, if you know Christ, know that God would restore such a joy and overwhelmed sense of what Christ has done, that you look at this and go, there's no other possible way that somebody like me could ever know God, and yet I do now, and it's not because of anything that I did, it's because of what Christ had done, and i got to tell everybody I meet about it as if it's the first time I've ever told the story. Oh, that that would be true at Southwide Baptist Church. Will you proclaim the news Of the saving reign of Jesus. Third. Second crowd. Third response. Will you come and worship before the saving reign of Jesus? Will you come and worship before the saving reign of Jesus? Remember, saving reign, Messiah, King, God's chosen. He saves, He reigns as King. And it says that the crowd... Verse 18, the reason why the crowd went to meet him is that they heard he had done this sign. Isn't it interesting that we see the the telling of the story by those who are with Jesus and we see the return to the the body to, to come and meet Jesus is the response to the story that's been told. That's, that's the, the response. There's a desire to come and worship before Jesus, to come and meet Him. I gotta know who did this. Just as a side note, just to kind of reverse back into where we were, do you see that the, the worship of, of people, the, the saving faith of people, God in His providence chooses to use the message 
of God's people taking the story out into the world to bring about worshipers. Do you see this? That as you come and tell the story out in the community that people want to come and meet the Jesus you've been talking about? What kind of story are you telling about Jesus? Is it one that invokes worship? But then the, the, the reverse of that is when we come and we come to see Jesus, it's not just kind of a casual, it's another Sunday. It's another time where we're going to pray. It's one more verse, one more passage. Oh, how guilty we are of falling into the routine and the rut of lifeless, passionless Christianity. And as we're talking about in Connect Group this morning, walking through the people of God and their various moments in their life, it's so easy when we get comfortable, so easy whenever things are going well for us to just go, it's just another day. But it wasn't just another day in Jerusalem. And by God's grace, there won't be a Sunday here that's just another day. God help us. God help us when we grow cold toward the Christ. Will you come and worship before the saving reign of Jesus? Third, will you humble yourself before the saving reign of Jesus? So the Pharisees in verse 19 say to one another, You see? (laughs) You're not getting anywhere. You're gaining nothing. He just keeps drawing the crowds. What are you guys even doing? Maybe we should find another person to do the job. Maybe they'll do it better. See, you're not getting anywhere. But what is said in sarcasm rings so true, does it not? How how many of us spend portions of our lives, or maybe sadly, tragically, many of us, most of our lives resisting Jesus? Kicking against Jesus. Trying to resist the authority of Jesus. Ignore Jesus and just pretend like it'll just go away. And the question or the the observation should be dropped into our lives at this moment when we read this. Don't you see? You're not getting anywhere. For all of your resisting and all of your rebellion and all of your hatred of God and all of your disobedience and all of the ways you say, I'm going to run my own life and I don't need anybody to tell me what to do and all of the things that, that are in your life and trying to find your own hope and satisfaction in things. For all of those things, you're not getting anywhere. And all that is required of you is that you would lay down your arms, stop kicking against Jesus, stop running in rebellion, stop resisting Him, turn away from your disobedience, and to simply lay down the palm branches before Jesus and realize that He's been the hero of the story all along. That's the picture. 
to just lay your life down before Jesus and surrender and realize that this King of Kings and Lord of Lords has come, that He is ruler of your life, but He's ruler in such a way that He lays down His life for you. And then He says, come and follow Me. Come and obey Me. Come and surrender to Me as your King. So will you humble yourself before the saving reign of Jesus Christ this morning? With every head bowed and every eye closed. As our worship team comes, I'm going to just simply leave those four questions before you. Have you embraced Christ by faith today? Have you trusted Him? Understanding the significance and believing all that He's done for you. Are you telling the story? Christian, are you overwhelmed and overjoyed by what Christ has done in your life? So much so that you're telling the story. Does that evidence itself in your worship? And are you willing today to submit everything that you are to Jesus, even in ways that you have not been obedient yet? In just a few moments, we're going to open this altar. I'll be down front, across the room. We'll stand and we'll be singing, following the worship team as they lead us. Some of you in this room need to respond today in obedience to Christ. One of those four ways God has just impressed on you, you need today to obey. And so in just a few moments, here's what I want you to do. When we stand across this room, as soon as we stand and as soon as I finish praying, I want you to step out of that place where you're standing and obey Christ today. No, don't don't wait another minute. You obey Christ today. Hear his voice and you follow him today. Today is the day of salvation. And God will honor your decision Whatever the decision is, you follow Him with everything that you are. Would you stand with me all across this room? God, we ask that right now you would have your way. Your Holy Spirit would move us to respond in obedience. God, that you would be honored in this place. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. As the worship team leads us, you come this morning. The altar is open. You've been listening to the Southwide Baptist Church Podcast with Pastor Jeremy Lewis. For more information about our church, please visit www.southwidebaptist.com. We also invite you to connect with us on Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram by searching for Southwide BC. Thank you for listening, and may you continue to worship, connect, grow, and multiply as you follow Jesus Christ.